it's that time again. Welcome to episode 82 of the Development Hell Podcast. It is, we're recording this on uh, the evening of August 28th, 2016. I was just talking to Ed during the pre-show. Now, I can't believe that summer's almost over. Um, I was talking to my wife about that today, just kind of wondering where um, where all the time went. Because up here in uh, my uh, part of Kanakistan, we kind of unofficial summer is from Victoria Day, which is the weekend before the U.S. Memorial Day weekend, until Labor Day, which is celebrated on the same day as it is in the U.S. It's just kind of shifted that way. That's basically from the countdown to the countdown to the end of school is from basically a month from when Victoria Day happens. Everyone's mm. out from school, and then everyone goes back to school um, right after Labor Day. But yeah, summer is almost over. I don't know where the hell it went, but all I know is it's been goddamn hot up here, Ed. We've had mm-hmm. uh, so far this summer thirty days where it was um, ninety Fahrenheit or above. That global warming thing is a myth. Yeah, it's a myth. Yeah, We're busy frying so up here for Victorian Day. Do you guys get all dressed up? For like in period costumes, yeah, that and we post we talk about ourselves in the in the third person, like we're not abused mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. yeah, the royal we, yeah, the royal we. We pretend to be sexually repressed, even though they were just as freaky back in Victorian times as they are now. Absolutely, freaky time. <laughs> and and as any good Canadian uh, holiday, it's often uh, also instead of Victoria Day, it's also known as uh, May two four because it's usually around May twenty fourth, and of course. 2-4 is Canadian mm-hmm. slang for a case of 24 beer. No, that sounds about right, which mm-hmm. is the, the nightly uh, – that's a nightcap. Yeah, basically. A traditional nightcap in Canada. You know, my, my wife was reading something in the newspaper and she's like, wow, she had no idea how much a uh, case of 24 beers cost. And I, I literally cannot remember the last mm-hmm. time I bought a case of 24 beers. I haven't bought any since – we lived in this house. I think the last time I did it was I had a party for my uh, – had a barbecue for my coworkers back when I worked at the uh, adult dating website. That's probably the last right. time. So that's like 13, 14 years ago. Um, Those guys like to get lit. Uh, yeah. A lot, you know what? A lot of them actually did. I remember I remember going for lunch at uh, somebody's uh, apartment not far from where we worked and um, dude uh, fired up the bong at lunchtime. So – People needed to get numb to deal with what they were doing at that job. Not me, because yeah. you know me, high on life. That's how I am. Um, high on life. Let's get high on life. I have not had a drink tonight. However, I am drinking way more now. Is this part, is this uh, like expected of you because you're like a CTO now? Yep. Mm-hmm. I just, that's what what you do. Uh, drink a lot, and then you coke up to kind of get yourself up going for the do, day. Do a do a bump, uh, a bump yes. to get going, and then uh, just need uh, a bump. Couple of couple of shots of something to bring you down so you can sleep. I heard the cool thing to do at startups now is to take a little LSD, just a just a tip, just a <laughs> just the tip LSD, and uh, and do some of that. And that seems like a really fucking terrible idea in my mind. But, you know, I'm not I'm not even I don't even think LSD is like a terrible thing to do. I just think that it's probably not a good idea in terms of work productivity. But, you know, do where the fuck you want, I guess. I don't care. All right. Before we get into some more discussions on this topic, let's uh, why don't you talk about our sponsors for this fantastic episode? Speaking of LSD, Wonder Network. The network is in your computer. 
Now, my cat is walking behind me right now. I know. For once, I have video on, so it can see me, and I can see uh, I can see his cat keeps walking behind him. Yeah, the cam show that I've got going on here. Uh, oh, is oh, your cam whore cat about to walk over again? I thought I saw the shadow. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's rubbing its head on me. It's probably going to like hit a thing on my keyboard and disconnect us. But um, yeah, it's coming around, and like it's it's a real cuddle whore. And speaking of cuddle whores, Wonder Network. Uh, the masters of cuddle whoring your website and figuring out what it looks like from a bunch of different locations to test like location-based stuff. Uh, they got, uh, what does it look like down in Peru? What's it look like? Or, you know, if you're, if you are South of Peru up in Peru, you would think to yourself, wait, I'm down in Argentina. You mean up? Yes, that is what I mean. Um, that is a cool place to be, Peru, I hear. You go to uh, Machu Picchu, you, uh, you get some of the uh, coca leaf. It's all good stuff. And that is one of the hundreds of places, probably in the hundreds, that you can look at your website from with Wonder Network. They also got things like Wonder VPN, their personal VPN service, um, the uh, load tester, natural load testing uh, to test your loads, other things of that nature, ping me anywhere, where's it at, where it be, and where's it up. One of those things is a real thing. The other two are not. And those are all things that Wonder Network provides. Some of them are free. Some of them cost money. You'll just have to try them and see which ones end up costing you money. Wonder Network. Thanks for the network, Wonder and they provide the bandwidth, of course. And then there's Grumpy Learning. Let's see if that uh, Grumpy Learning without a dash works yet. No, I don't think I've done it. Learning.com. Grumpy Learning.com. Grumpy Learning. No, I don't think I did it. You didn't do it. It's still a landing page. But if you put a dash between Grumpy and Learning, you'll go there. And find some books. Yeah, books I, think, about, I think I just need to go onto onto Namecheap Jeep and uh, just set it to redirect. Here we go. I wasn't done with my song. Sorry. Here's the, here's a little, the new jingle for Grumpy Dash Learning. Let a grumpy programmer teach you how to write better, more maintainable code. Try out the Grumpy Programmer's minimum viable tests. And then there's the uh, Grumpy Programmer's Little Book of Hack. So if you're still trying that, turd, you can do that. Uh, it's not a turd. I just made that up. Uh, and there's, of course, the Grumpy Programmer's Guide to Building Testable Applications in PHP, only $20. And then the Grumpy Programmer's PHP Unit Cookbook. I have used that book myself. Uh, I think I might have even paid for it. That is $29 that you can get at Lean Pub. And there's lots of cool stuff, even some cool videos. Uh, to teach you how it's all DRM free. Oh, good stuff. Love it. Now, Chris, have you done A-B testing and other website optimization tasks? I have not done A-B testing, but I do know lots of people who have done it. And I do yep. know that uh, at uh, Mozilla, they're trying to do some of that stuff with Firefox. Right. Um, they have this cool thing called Test Pilot that we're using to try out new features. And it can do stuff like that. We can... 
uh, try a new add-on, uh, change some core functionality of Firefox, and expose it to small groups of users um, just to see what happens. You know, that's something I should, we should talk about because I've been doing some of that stuff. But what I want you to know is that these are these great books that you can learn about uh, doing uh, testing inside PHP. Uh, and you'll do all sorts of awesome stuff with it to learn how to write testable applications and write good tests so that you waste less time fixing bugs and you spend more time not working. So that seems like it's probably worth some money, right? Right. So go do that now, won't you? Thank you. Grumpy-learning.com. Thank you, America. Yes, I like getting freedom dollars, so please buy my stuff. Get the freedom dollars. We've got them here, and they're worth more than Canadian money. Definitely is. The snow peso hasn't done good against the freedom dollar for a while. Hey, freedom. And the British pound. Well, we don't use that in Canada, so how the pound is doesn't really matter to us. Well, it might matter just because it's probably sucking it. But no, what I'm saying is that America is dominant, too, uh, in that area. Um, I'm sure Brexit hasn't been helping the cause for the currency either. No, uh, my retirement account uh, lost about six grand uh, on the day of Brexit. Wow. Um, It did come back after like a week. So it kind of recovered, but the, all the markets took a real dive. Well, there went the there went the cat again. Yep, yep cat behind me, taking care of business, and that's all going on. So uh, that was our sponsor song for tonight. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul, and thank you, you. By you, I mean Chris. I don't know. Uh, we do have a, we're going to have some new, uh, working out some new stuff for sponsors uh, coming up here soon. So when you hear this, you might check it out and check out our sponsor page because we're going to be selling some stuff in a new way. And uh, hopefully a bunch of people will give us money. Yeah, we're cool. just, we're, we're trying out, uh, you know, um, I don't think I want to mention the name of the place yet until it goes public. But one of these ad networks um, approached us after hearing we're kind of looking for sponsorship and they're offering some kind of unique things via like basically i guess kind of like an ad network where it's called, it's called yeah. fetishnet.org fetish yeah. uh where basically the <laughs> where it kind of looks like i mean as far as i can tell from those emails they're gonna actually gonna let us do the ad reads so some poor schmuck's gonna give us a bunch of money and we're gonna make fun of them and uh, hopefully they see a big enough of a bump that they uh, renew with us so uh, fingers crossed we'll see how it goes that sounds wonderful. I'm very excited. Aren't you? Yeah, because I, I, I like money. Because the money smooths things over uh, and helps us not feel so bad about spending our time editing and planning and typing up show notes and chasing down guests and, uh, and Ed's uh, wonderful sound editing where he tries to filter out the background noise of my furnace uh, with the air conditioning going that Son I can't that I can't turn off or else everyone else. Uh, uh, suffocates to death on the second floor on the up you know on the top level of our house so you know yeah help help me buy a waves the company waves noise reduction plug-in uh hum hiss and other kinds of things uh that it can pull out and but it's expensive uh, funky needs a new see it core audio plug-in that i can use in logic so uh hook me up audio units it's for fun 
You don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, but all I know is that it helps me sound better on the podcast, so I'm I'm all yep. for it. Yep. Um, speaking of uh, spending money on things that we don't really need, I got uh, the air conditioning fixed in Tesmore, so their sanity uh, oh, prevails. Yeah, because I thought the thought of driving nine hours to uh, Brooklyn in. Uh, about three weeks did not seem very enticing if I had no air conditioning because I'm sure at, towards that end of September it'll probably still be hot as fuck thanks to thanks to climate change. So yeah, yeah. Why are you going to that shitbox city? Uh, because the team that I work with at Mozilla, that mm-hmm. uh, uh, developers that are located in France, there they said, "Hey, oh. we want to how you say a vacation in New York City." So they want me to come there and. Uh, we're going to work and do meetings, um, plan some new features. I'm going to uh, keep cracking the whip to make sure they make things easy for me to test. And then I'm going to hop in my car and drive from Brooklyn all the way to Detroit to Murder City and hang out with my friend for my base, for my annual baseball weekend. So it should be good. Uh, I'll be doing like about twelve to 1,300 miles of driving. So it should be good. And uh, you should wear your burkini for all the, for all the Frenchmen who will be there. I don't know the the idea of me in a burkini. It's not uh, very, not very appealing. Hey, I don't know, man. Whatever you're into. So yeah, they have me booked into some. Even though I'm morally opposed to these things, they have me booked into uh, an Airbnb somewhere in Brooklyn. So an ARP BNB. And I'm uh, hanging out with one of the French developers, Mathieu. So me and him are gonna attempt to bond over a couple of days, I guess. Well, that's cool. So you guys yeah. got like a single bedroom. And, uh, no, a two-bedroom place. Yeah, no, we're going to spoon okay. on the uh, sofa bed. Should be good. That's fine. Yeah. Should be good. Um, yeah, now, I got a twin for you guys. <laughs> it's sleep. I don't know what your. I don't know what the problem is, man. It sleeps four. It's like a sofa bed and uh, and uh, three yoga mats. There you go. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it sleeps four, bro. One interesting thing I did find out was that uh, apparently these days you need to like book like almost a year in advance to buy tickets if you want to go up into the uh, Statue of Liberty. I didn't want is that to. Right? Oh, yeah, okay. I didn't want to, but. Uh, uh, like, yeah, because fuck the Statue of Liberty. You well, said. no, just uh, whatever. You're like the the Cloverfield monster. <laughs> My relationship with America is complicated. So uh, yeah, sure. um, parts I like, I like your money and everything else can. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, no, it's just some of the guys who are coming over. They wanted to go up there. And one of the uh, people who's going to be there, he lives in Manhattan somewhere. And so he was like, oh, oh yeah, I'll look into it for He's like, oh, yeah, if you want to do this, you needed to buy your tickets mm. like a year ago. Um, well, it, to, to go yeah. up and to go up into the torch, and you even need a special type of ticket, just even just to like like uh, uh, pick up a loitering ticket around uh, the pedestal of the uh, statue. Oh, really? So, huh. so, so I have to contend myself with just like getting close to the water and taking a picture of it or something. You know, it is a French statue. It seems like they should have access. Yeah, I know, I know, but you know, it's, the pedestal though is not French. It's one hundred percent American. Yep, yep, that part. They gave us a statue, but it was a thing where we had to buy the pedestal. <laughs> it was like the razor blades and the, the razor. The handle's no, free, was, handles free, bro, but you got to pay for the blades. Yeah, right, right now. Uh, no, yeah, they only made the statue. I learned this on Drunk History, that, sh- that TV show, uh, that they, they made the statue, gave it to us for free, but they were like, you've got to make a pedestal for it. And at first, people were like, I don't think we're doing that. I don't think we're going to make a pedestal. <laughs> so he's like, but I'm going to give you this huge statue for free. And he, they were like, eh, nah, we're good. 
And the guy's like, I have an invoice. Don't make <laughs> yeah. me send it to you. Yeah. And they're like, all right, fine. Yeah, they convinced him somehow, but yeah. Grab a bunch uh, of white slaves and build a pestle. All right, we'll get this done. I'm sure. Yeah, it would have been, would have been, they would have needed to be white slaves. So, yeah. I saw there will be blood. It was probably uh, Irish dudes who built the pedestal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah, or watch gangs in New York or something. Uh, that's uh, wholly accurate. All right, so let's keep this uh, show moving. So uh, three things we're going to get into today. Talk a bit about, as a little preview, talk about, I'm going to talk about the concept of working in the open, which is something that I get to do at Mozilla and talk about my experience with that. Uh, Ed's going to talk about the importance of marketing while building uh, communities because, you know, these communities, they don't build themselves. And Mm -hmm. depending on how we're doing for time, we might discuss our plans for doing a dev hell Patreon and what we're thinking about. And we'll maybe brainstorm uh, on the podcast, what we want to hand out as rewards and and things like that. So, um, because again, all this money that slides into us via advertising and other stuff, stickers and all those things. um, It just simply, it helps us to be brutally honest. It helps us justify the time that we have to spend away from doing other things. I like talking to Ed and I would talk to Ed about a lot of this stuff, even if we, even if we weren't doing the podcast, but Time is money and, uh, you know, all these tools and stuff, hosting, bandwidth uh, for other stuff, the, the tools, those uh, those audio, uh, you know, those CoreLogic plugins, again, they're not free. Mics aren't free and other things I buy uh, to help with the podcast, they're not free either. Um, so every little dollar that we get helps helps motivate us and keep us going. So let's talk, about this, let's talk about this weird thing about working in the open. So because this is a thing that uh, gets talked about a lot. So. Any uh, any company that wants to look important always has a mission statement, right, Ed? That's the idea. And, I mean, and you and you usually and I ho- kind of think those things are sort of a good idea. Yeah, uh, and, I, I mean, and, it's just sometimes they're they they seem dumb, but it's actually a good idea to know why the hell you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, and hopefully the mission statement isn't just like we're seeking to you know disrupt the uh, home laundry folding industry or some other stupid thing where right. a lot of startups just seem to be because you know some young white dude doesn't have his mom around anymore to do something for him, so he creates a startup to do it. Anyway, Mozilla is one of these places that does have a mission, and the mission is to uh, is to keep helping to create the open web and um, and and not uh, not let. Okay, couples get married. But no, I'm just teasing. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, no, he doesn't work there anymore. So we're. Yeah, so it's all good. That's all yeah. been. That all got hashed out way before I got there. I um, know. I know. And we are watching uh, what Mr. Ike is doing with um, with Brave. So we'll see. Yeah, hopefully, stuff that they try, we uh, we pilfer and uh, put into Firefox. That's uh, a good idea. But, but uh, so because we're. The mission statement being keeping everything open, pretty much everything I work on um, gets to be open in the end. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than others. I mean, for example, Firefox, of course, the browser is available for free, but, um, you know, we provide binaries built already. And people can build uh, Firefox itself. It just Mm -hmm. takes a pretty good computer and a whole bunch of tools. And you could actually build your own version of Firefox if you really wanted to sit there every time we update the source code and build it yourself. It would be nuts, but, you know, I'm sure there are some hardcore people who want to do that. Yeah, Um, some. And and, uh, But for me, the interesting and working part of this where I get to work in the open is the idea that all the tools and stuff that I work on 
that I create while I'm at Mozilla, I get to open source them. They're all available up on GitHub. Uh, if you go to GitHub and look under um, Mozilla-Services up on GitHub, that's the repo that the team that I work for. <clears throat> we recently did a reorg, so now I'm part of Firefox Test Engineering is what the whole kind of group is. We used to have uh, a desktop QA section, um, web QA, which is the folks messing around with uh, automation and JavaScript uh, testing and testing the UI and UX. And then we had the team I'm with, which is testing all the services. Then we had one of our managers uh, say, I don't want to manage people anymore. And uh, he returned to being uh, what we refer to as uh, an IC, an individual contributor. So he's still working there, but he's just not a manager anymore. So because my manager is so awesome, they said, all right, all these people that used to report to this guy, now they report to you. Um, not me, but my boss, Stuart. And uh, right. they, they very wisely don't put me in charge of anybody. Good um, idea. Yeah. Uh, so we had this really big group, and then the the lovely woman named Krupa, who uh, works with all our desktop people, she reports to Stuart as well. So now we're all one big happy family. We're Firefox test engineering and where we still kind of have groups that are aligned along the desktop web and, and services side of things. Uh, and we've moved some people around, but there definitely is, it, it just kind of makes it easier to do um, cross team work when it's required because now you can say, well, you're all part of Firefox test engineering. So there's way more, um, sorry, uh, what's a good way less political stuff, way less. This isn't our domain type mm, stuff. Right. Yeah. So, yes, so the Mozilla-services repo up on GitHub is where all the tests and other things that I write get to go. So it's – it's. I mean, I like it because it I get to, like, contribute back what I do. I'm also allowed to blog and talk about what I actually do at work. There's very little thing – there's very little that I'm not allowed to talk about. The only things I'm really not allowed to talk about are, like um, – internal things discussed we have a there's a monthly kind of state of mozilla meeting that we do on a monday um that usually talks about like finance and strategy so i've i've found uh going to that meeting to be interesting because it kind of helps me understand what's going on outside of the work that i do so the advocacy Mm -hmm. and and the financial picture and uh um, it's been very interesting um seeing how all that stuff goes down but all the work that I do gets to be open source, which I think is good because it allows me to like point people out. Oh yeah, I did that at the day job, and and here go look at this stuff up on GitHub. And right. It also means that people outside we do accept contributions from outside. There are people who there are people who do not work for for the Mozilla Corporation because we have the we have the Mozilla Foundation, mm-hmm. which is kind of all that advocacy stuff, and then we have the Mozilla Corporation. So I work for the Mozilla Corporation. And there are lots of people who contribute to Firefox and other projects that Mozilla runs that aren't um, – they're not Mozilla employees, which is right. which I would think would surprise people. And being an outside contributor is, is certainly a path that some people have uh, used to get into Mozilla work there. There's people who are interns and, and other stuff like that uh, who decide to, to come on uh, with the corporation when, when their time was up, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I kind of like it, the idea that everything I do is out in the open. People can see it. They can comment on it. They can look at it. They can go and use it because Mozilla, for the for, for the most part, I think our licensing is pretty liberal. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's Apache-ish. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, you can and, – and for me, it's helpful because I can actually point to stuff. Because this used to be – this is a problem during kind of the – I'd say the middle stage of my career where you're trying to build up the career and you're trying to go – go do the type of work that you want to do for specific companies and they want to see samples of what you've done. 
Right. And that can be really hard because sometimes the stuff that you've done for previous companies, you're not allowed to share with, with anybody, either because of NDA or because of licensing or or in some cases it's stuff that like it was just an internal tool and um, you don't really want to share it. So um, working, being able to open source stuff um, and be able to point to it and say, oh, yeah, I've worked on that. Go, go check this. Go check this tool out. Um, right. I think I think it's good. So at, at Graph Story, I mean, are you guys in a position to to do that sort of thing, or that's not really that sort of working in the opens? Not something that Graph Story needs to do as part of their business model. So it's not part of our business model in the sense that our um, our pr- the primary stuff we build, which are these, I guess the pr- our primary product is. Um, it's not something we own, which is kind of a thing. I mean, it's like, so the primary graph database that we provide to people is Neo4j. And that is that is something that's produced by Neo Technologies. And they have a community edition, which is GP, a GPL, actually, I think, Afro-GPL. Um, and then there is an enterprise edition, which adds a few things. And that is has a commercial license. And so you need to purchase a license to use that unless you're, there are some things like if you're a startup with less than with less than or, or up to 20 employees and up to 3 million in annual revenue, uh, us dollars, you can get, get a license for free. But, um, so the enterprise stuff, which you, which allows you to do like hot backups and clustering because it, it, it handles replication with logical logs the way that a lot of databases do. Um, and that's how it would do backups too. It does those things, um, only in enterprise. So, so that product, our sort of, that sort of main product that we offer, uh, is, is not something we own. And then you have like the stuff we wrap around it, which is all of our platform stuff. Right. And that's not open source. Um, that's the stuff about like our website and the console we built to do things like deploy servers and, uh, stop and start, uh, you know, instances, import and export data, uh, all that stuff is not open source. It's primarily built on open source stuff, so it, uh, but it's not open source itself. We have open sourced a few things. Like one of the things we did was make um, a Swift library uh, for iOS that called Theo, and that is that can connect to Neo4j. So that is open source. And we also have, you know, some other tools like that. So if you go to, you know, there's a graph story, uh, GitHub, um, you know, organization, and there's a number of public repos in there. And those public repos show things we've made either they're Most of them are either demonstration things or, um, they are some of the things we've made like, uh, Theo that it's uh, Neo4j Neo4j iOS library. Uh, there's a thing called GraphKit that is sort of an example uh, PHP thing. Um, and then some of the things we've done is just stuff we forked and like done things to like uh, let's see here. We made a couple changes to an assertion library that we use for uh, like uh, validating things, uh, you know, stuff of that nature. 
Uh, we made a fork of the DigitalOcean V2 library because I think there was something we had to fix. So a lot of times, if it's an open source library we need to fix, we'll uh, you know, or make a change to it for some reason. We'll uh, we'll put that in there. But that is so. There, there's definitely uh, a few things that we've developed out in the open, but most of it's not. Um, and it, you know, so doing fully out in the open, I, I guess I've worked some stuff that was kind of like that, and that was really cool. And I was kind of glad you had the opportunity to do that. Um, I probably wish I could do more of that, but a lot of times, what ends up happening is just you're like, I could take time to open source this, but no, I have to actually do this so that we can keep trying to grow the business and it's just not a high enough priority. Right. You know, as things get better, you sort of have more, uh, or and more profitable, you have more leeway to do things like that. And I, I think we would definitely do that. We feel pretty strongly about it, but it's a, it's just the case that there's, it's, it's hard to find the time to open source everything we'd really like to. Um, and that kind of stinks, it's, but it's just, you're working as fast as you can to build stuff up. Because I was going to ask you, like, you know, how would you, how would you, how would you feel if everything that you did was open sourced? Um, I'd love it. I mean, if if I could, so I had a a situation a little bit like that when I worked for Purdue University, and the research center I worked for, which was an information security research center, and a lot of stuff that I did was we could open source. And if it, even if it wasn't open source, a lot of the stuff we would do, it was for the purposes, not the, the point was not necessarily to be profitable. The point, in fact, was not that was not the point. Um, the point was to do things like increase awareness or build resources for training or, you know, do all sorts of things. But profitability was not the key. Sustainability was key, but not profitability. So I loved that. It was great. And it is freeing because you get an opportunity to do a lot of stuff that you're like, this is sort of like the right thing to do. And this is it's, it's it feels edifying and valuable. But um, it also paid half of what I make now. So that was a thing. <laughs> but um, that. uh so I would I honestly I'd love it if I could. Um, I mean, there's probably some there's some drawbacks to it, of course. I mean, like I don't have to like deal with customer like basic, I guess, developer or some sort of user requests on every single piece of code that we write. You know what I mean? And that would probably be a thing that uh, I guess potentially might annoy me. Um uh, I'm trying to think of, you know, the criticism or, or level of visibility of stuff that I built might be kind of an issue and it might get annoying, but I, th- I think I'd love it. I think that's exactly what I want to do. The problem is that most jobs where you do that, uh, they usually don't pay very well. So it's kind of thankless work. Um, I mean, most open source stuff doesn't pay anything, doesn't pay at least even a sustainable living wage you know what i mean uh let alone something where i'd be you know yeah i could i could probably live on it but i don't know we might have to like sell our house and go someplace else you know because i can't we can't afford it anymore uh so that would stink um but yeah no i'd love it 
that would be perfect. That is exactly what I want. So if anybody just wants to be my patron, that would be fabulous. And just pay <laughs> me to do stuff that I think is a cool idea and would be important to do. I would love it. In fact, I mean, honestly, I, OSMI, Open Sourcing Mental Illness, we, I mean, it's not all programming. A lot of it is not code. Most of it's not code. But we open everything up, right? Everything that we publish is Creative Commons licensed, all the all those documents. And and when we have done some code stuff, everything is, is open source. Um, it just doesn't pay salaries <laughs> right now. It's all volunteer. Um, and so... In a different situation, if somebody said, hey, you could make a you could not have to eat dirt and you could do just the open sourcing mental illness, that would be pretty appealing. I mean, I love working with the folks that I do at Graph Story. It is great. I love it very much. But it is definitely a thing where, like, if somebody offered me that opportunity, that would be something I have to take very seriously. Uh, If somehow that came together, that would be very appealing. Um, that'd be great. I'd love it. Yeah. Just Mozilla. I mean, I keep saying this to other people as it dawns on me, the longer I I work there. Um, it's such a different place to work where it's, um, you know, you're doing, you're getting to work with some like really interesting technology and trying to solve. There's always kind of really interesting problems that you need to solve because of scale and, and other requirements. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing to like you know casually toss off to somebody and say oh well you know I, I help test a system that's actually used by millions of people every day it's a it's a and the fact that they're I mean you know we're not selling stuff but right. you know there still are some financial concerns we can't just spend money left right and center on things there are budget yeah, of constraints and things like that um, but just this overriding feeling. I mean, I guess I'm getting more and more sucked into the cult of Mozilla the longer that I that I work there. That the mission, and we want to keep things open, and we're and a lot of the people who work there care about doing a good job on stuff, and they're not just they're not all just uh, open source uh, hippy dippy types who are just there because because Mozilla's open and free, man. It's like no, because some people are there because um, they're getting paid to solve some really interesting problems right. at uh, at a scale. That just simply doesn't happen. Um, like a handful of places are dealing with that type of scale, so it's very interesting. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't do you couldn't do what they're doing. It's just you need people who are dedicated to who are doing high level engineering. You know, it's not it's that's not something that you could just you could do uh, with just folks who were like, I don't know, man. Let's just you know figure it out, brother. Yeah, despite people's opinion, I mean, I know that Firefox isn't everyone's favorite browsers and browser. And every time I talk about it, I always get a few trolls. Why not Firefox yeah, fix this and fix that? I'm like, I don't know, man. I, said, I don't work on the browser. All I know is that this is a ridiculously large um, application, and uh, you know, we we have to prioritize our time and and yep. just and sometimes the shit that we think is important is not the shit that you think is important. Um, you know, yeah, the, the, I, the, late, the yeah. latest big thing that finally has been in the works for uh, for a long time is finally, finally, the sandboxing of uh, processes on a per tab basis so that when a tab locks up, um, right. it will no longer bring the whole browser down. That's currently in 
I mean, I think I've talked about this before, how at any given time there's kind of four versions of Firefox. Out right. There. Nightly, um, developer edition, beta, and general release. I tend to use general release um, for all my work stuff, but, you know, I occasionally have to test in the other ones. But right now in Nightly, there's an option um, to go into the general account section, uh, you know, general preferences section and say, yes, I would like per tab protection. And that was, you know, admittedly from the folks who build Firefox today. Yeah, it was unfortunate that when a tab locked up, it could lock up the whole browser. But that's, that's again, something we talked about when you mentioned A-B testing, how we're right. able now to kind of roll those sort of features out to um, to small groups or cohorts, as we like to call them at, at Mozilla. Just roll mm-hmm. them out to groups of people and let them to try it out. We can do it by... Of course, making these features available in the nightly version of our browser because it's a much smaller. Like someone says to me, "Oh, it's only a million people who download nightly," and I'm like, "You call that a, like a that's a small number? That's a lot of people testing." Only out. a million people. Yeah, only Dude, a million what people. A are dumbass thing to say. What do you like? What project are you working on that has a million people downloading a nightly build? Yeah, you know, like I just like because it, it, it all it gets yeah, weird, right? And it's like it's about perspective. Sometimes we look at things that we think are easy and trivial, and somebody outside of it looks at it and goes, "Wow, this is amazing! It's blowing their mind." Like when I tell people who I work for, they're like, "Oh, wow, that must be this amazing thing." And I'm like, "Yeah, there are parts of it that are amazing, but there's other parts of it that get kind of old really quick, and and what used to be exciting becomes like really mundane." But yeah, only yeah. a million people trying this feature out. Well, you know, and it's it. And one of the things is that everybody thinks it, it goes back to that idea of like uh, this happened and this happens so much with uh, developers and, and, and uh, it seems to happen a lot with sort of techie folks who kind of feel like they have a good understanding of how everything works, despite the fact that they really do not. They understand only a very small sliver of their that is based on their experience. And a lot of times even that's not helpful. But um, it's the why wasn't I consulted uh, (laughs) like like feeling about everything that everything that we do, you're supposed to be consulted on it. And if I wasn't consulted on why this game developer didn't introduce this thing, you know, didn't make a feature a certain way or why WordPress doesn't use this library. And obviously it would solve all their problems if they did that, despite the fact it would like preclude say 50 million installs from running um or all this stuff it's like why wasn't i consulted about this you know and that just happens like the percentage of people who actually you know mouth off like that is probably super super tiny but when you're talking about orders of magnitude like you have with uh firefox that could be maybe ten thousand people yeah, like the ten thousand douchebags <laughs> who uh, mouth off about shit like that and feel entitled and, and wonder why they were not personally consulted by the CTO um, when this feature was implemented, uh, and and feel as if they have a complete understanding of how everyone interacts with the browser and the markets it's serving and things like that, and so therefore should be allowed to it. I mean, you know. It's uh, it it's it's that's just what happens. It's it's basically, you know, it's it's the developer and tech side equivalent of uh, you know, dudes mouthing off about 
Marvel comics movies and stuff yeah, like that. Similar I type mean, of thing. You know, whatever. It just is what it is. And yeah, people are going to kind of be like that, but hopefully you call them out sometimes and they shut the hell up and yeah. learn something from it. But Yeah, I've started nice. telling people when when I tell them who I work for and I'm, I've started always saying, I work for Mozilla, you know, the people who do Firefox and it's okay if you don't use Firefox. <laughs> just because I'll get that all the time. I get that, ooh, they get the pain. Like, oh, I, you know, I don't really use Firefox. I'm like, I'm like, dude, money shows up my account every two weeks. I wouldn't worry about it. So um, it's just, it, it, it's interesting. The whole browser thing is like, uh, right. you know, it's like always a race and, and the browser, different browsers always taking the lead. So it's, I, I, I don't, Although you're an opera guy, right? You have been using opera. Yeah. So I use opera right now. And did you, the, and did you see, they just got hammered with a humongous security. I um, did. That's why I, um, one, I, you know, I was not using opera to sync all my passwords, which honestly, the reason I wasn't is because maybe I'm not always running opera. So I don't want to use opera to sync all my stuff. I use one password. Now I used to use LastPass. Now I use one password. Um, but so that that's not like I well I knew Opera security was poor so I would never use a system like that that's I didn't know that that's fine um, but I do use a um, one a a, a unique uh, complex password for it uh, because I do log in and have it sync data so it syncs like tabs and stuff like that and. Uh, that stuff, I, I don't know if they had access to that or not. I'm not sure why it would be interesting to people, um, except to humiliate me. Um, but so, yeah, I totally did see that. Uh, that wasn't good. Um, I don't know enough about like how were their passwords hashed. Can't, can't say, uh, hopefully it was hashed. Well, that's all I, you know, that's all they know. But, but if they get it, what all the only thing that somebody's going to find, I mean, I already changed my password to be even more complex and it's still a unique thing. So if they steal my password, that the only thing they're going to be able to do is not log into my opera account. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's fine. Um, and, uh, so that's a bummer. I, I, I think opera is okay. It's basically, you know, what it is now is Chrome with maybe some stuff to help it perform a little bit faster and little doohickeys, but it's not like some amazing thing. Not its own browser anymore? Uh, no, it uses, uh, it's based on the Chromium open source uh, builds. So it uses the same engine that Chrome does, which is not WebKit anymore. It's some derivative that they call something else. But it's, so it's based on the Chromium open source project. It is not its own thing. That would not have been acceptable to me simply because I feel like I could not do my work. As a web developer, I could not do my work if I was running Opera and using Opera tools because I think it looks it's too different from everything else, the old rendering engine. Um, and so... Uh, part of it making it my full-time thing was that it has the Chrome dev tools in it. So those are the same. It uses, has the same dev tools that cr come with Chrome because they come out of Chromium and uh, they work great. Um, I used Firefox for a very long time. I like Firefox a lot. I had switched to Firefox probably two or three years ago from Chrome um, because I, and a lot of that was a philosophical thing. 
Um, issues I kind of just had were I was, uh, and it's not your job, I mean, but I was, I would run into issues with degraded performance or degrading performance. Um, and that was a little bit of a pain. I wanted to see if I could get something that was a little bit better. I'm not convinced that opera is appreciably faster. Um, and it's not like Chrome is some kind of super fast speed demon anymore either. It eats up tons of space or, or tons of RAM and it has that process separation, but that process separation, one of the things that, you know, everybody's excited about, but it also uses more RAM to do that because it means that there is overhead for each one of those processes that it has to have. So it is more stable, but it also takes up more resources when you do that. Um, so I don't know. I might, you know, the big thing for me was that I felt like I would kind of get a lot uh, too much freezing in like things would kind of interfere with with it uh, in Firefox. And sometimes it would just kind of it would slow down. Now, usually if I quit the browser and restarted, it seemed like it was better. But I would just have some issues with that. It could be I know I, or I'm 99% sure that when I was having issues before and I was using LastPass as my password thing, that I tracked that down to actually LastPass. The, the LastPass extension had a memory leak in it because I could see like 24 hours after you can look at like memory usage for all the different processes. You could trace that stuff down if you know how to use the dev tools. And I got some help from a couple of the guys who were working at Mozilla after I complained about it. Enough people followed me that they were or not enough people, but the right people followed me and were like, Hey, have you tried this? And it wasn't just like, have you tried, you know, starting a clean profile? I know that I know that did not work. Um, but it was, I think it had to do with that. You know, I could, I could go back and try it again. I mean, the thing, the reason, the thing that appeals to me, particularly about Firefox is that it is the only browser made by a company whose part of their mission is to, um, uh, maintain and defend user end user privacy. And no other company does that. Now, they might say that they do, but that is not the that's not the actual intent of it. And it is definitely the case that Mozilla has been an advocate for uh, user rights and privacy issues on the Web. And other companies have not done that. And the only major player that that's has in many cases stood up for user privacy issues has been, has been Mozilla. And I think that it's real easy to forget that and just think about like, well, who uses that anymore? Well, actually one, a lot of people use Firefox and two, um, you know, there's a, you, you, if you, that's something you actually give a shit about, um, you should think about the tools that you use and what, and who you're, giving your money to whether as a as a uh, as an audience that's being sold or whether you're giving that money directly i think you have to at least think about that and have good reason for why you're making the choices that you are so yeah giving that a big thumbs up you can't see it on the camera but i like that that's a good thumbs up right there um yeah it's just uh it's i've really enjoyed my time at uh at mozilla and uh renewing my 
Well, moving from being a seasonal employee, which is what they call contractors. Sometimes you know the, the things that companies, uh, phrases and stuff they use internally are always kind of weird. Does that mean so, a migrant worker? Yeah, I, I guess. A digital migrant, I guess, is yeah, one right. way of looking at it. Uh, hopefully they won't build a wall. To keep yeah. Um, I was going to pick my strawberries. That's right. Um, I'm busy getting things going so that I'll um, – that before my contract comes up for renewal in November, sooner than that, because I have flights to book to go to Hawaii for the December work week for Mozilla um, to go on and, and become an uh, IC individual contributor instead of a contractor. So that's, that's when when Claire notices that I complain very, very little about my job, that's always a good sign that uh, things are going well because she says, I never hear you complain about work. Mm-hmm. So, so she says that means you must be very happy with uh, how they're treating you. I'm like, yep, they're treating the, the D-lister quite good. You know, that's true. I realize now that you used to complain about everything else that where you worked, you know, at, at different places at other times. Not like all the time, but you would definitely be like, this is some bullshit. And you have not said this is some bullshit lately. Well, because, uh, uh, you know, just my, my work situation is very different. I, I think, I, I wonder if I was still doing kind of application development mm-hmm. uh, instead of testing uh, my thoughts on these matters would be a little different. I mean, sometimes I like, I get mad at the developers on the projects that I work on. Cause I'm sure. like, dude, it's like, dude, I used to do this for a living. I, yeah. I know what, I know what it is you're doing and I know it's what you're trying to do. Cause I've tried to do the same sort of shortcuts and, and hand wave off the concerns of, of people uh, and try to minimize um, mm-hmm. the complaints. Um, I, I sometimes get a little bit annoyed by that when the, it, it's, it's, you know, it's that, in some ways, it's almost an extension of that why wasn't I consulted thing that you talked about earlier. In this case, it's like, dude, I used to be a programmer and I know what I'm asking you to do is entirely right. do is entirely doable. So let's let's get this thing done so I can test your stuff. And so it's so it spends less time in uh, waiting for QA approval and more time in production, because I always tell the developers, I like to keep really tight schedules. I like to push people's code up into production as quickly as we can, as long as we test it all. So the harder you make my job, the slower it's going to be for your code to get up into production. It's just as simple as that. So that's about the only thing that kind of makes me mad when they build systems and they're and they're very difficult to test. Um, and the complaints, uh, I have to complain three or four times to get their attention. But, you know, right. in, the grand, in the grand scheme of things, if that's the worst thing that happens, that I have to yell at some developers to, hey, can you put this hook in like I asked you to? Or can you please tell me how I'm supposed to test this particular feature so we can sign off on it? Yeah, if that's right. my worst complaint at work. Uh, my job is pretty fucking good. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Look at that. That's uh, You're putting things in perspective. I love that. Yeah, you know, as, as I get older and not having gotten away from doing development work. I mean, I still have to write code because I'm, I'm, I'm creating tools to do stuff. But not doing actual application development anymore um, has given me a much different perspective and some much needed uh, change of perspective, looking at problems from a, from a different sort of angle now. Combined with my speaking winding down in 2017 to being almost nothing while big life changes moving and, and all that other stuff. Right. Um, um, I think it, I think it has been good for my mental health. Uh, I know Ed and I have talked to I mean, people don't know, but of course I talk to Ed about stuff all the time. But um, I, I was getting kind of mad at a lot of people for reasons that I couldn't figure out. And um, some of it might have been ego and some of it might have been just uh, – uh, not jealousy, but kind of like uh, 
why is this thing? Why is this person getting attention? The real story is very, very different. And, and mm-hmm. that's sort of weird kind of political thing. But um, I've, despite having done a lot of events this year and gone to a lot of places, I, I feel much, much different about, um, and we're talking about PHP stuff, uh, about PHP community stuff and things that were bugging me and how mm-hmm. they're slowly, and how they're slowly no longer becoming a problem. They're going from things that bug me to, Things that really bug me are now things that just kind of mildly bug me, and things that mildly bug me are just things where I just like, ah, oh, okay, whatever. And then things that that were before, like just ah, oh, whatever. I just literally don't even think about it anymore. So um, that's it's been a much healthy. It is. It's yeah. been a much a much needed change in a, in a lot of things. Just because I got, brother. I was getting too, I was getting too wound up about stuff that uh, that seemed to only matter to me, and yeah. uh, and that's not healthy. It doesn't help solve the problem. I didn't want to. I didn't want to end up my Twitter feed just be me being constantly yelling at people about stuff and, and constantly being sarcastic and, and, and confrontational and all those things that I that I used to do a lot more. Mm-hmm. And then I only did once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found myself writing and deleting way too many tweets. And when I started doing that, I'm like, yeah, no, this is this is not good. This is not healthy. What you're doing to yourself. And so I'm trying to like. Trying to be a little bit more even keeled about things and just say, not everything has to be exactly the way that I want it to be. Yeah. And, and not everybody has to do everything that I want them to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is possible that I am wrong about some things. And it is possible that I'm right. I still feel like I'm right. I mean, I know Ed and I can't go into specific specifics too much because it would just be really hurtful. To <laughs> some people. Well, yeah, I mean, you can be wrong. But, but you and I you have know, talked about yeah. this and 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 – in some cases, with some help from some third parties, I was like, yeah, this thing that I'm mad about actually is something to be mad about. And then in other times, it's like, well, this thing that I was really mad about, maybe it isn't something I should be I should be mad about. That it's that it, that the important thing is to try to understand why. Why I was feeling this way. What were leading yeah. me to feel this way. What was happening. And, and more importantly, what was I willing to do um, to well, change yeah. to change how I felt about it. So – we're getting we're getting into really weird territory, and that's not what we're talking about. So we got one weird more thing. Territory. Yeah, I know that's well. That's where I live. That's all these years yeah. of uh, <laughs> ten years of ten plus years of working from home. You get a very very weird perspective on interacting yeah. on on interacting with people. Um, so so now your uh, your biweekly uh, purge scenario that's yeah. working out and helping you calm down. Yes. Yeah. Basically, yeah, I'm doing much yeah, better. Right. Yeah, it used to be. It used to be like every other day, I was yelling at Ed via whatever uh, messaging platform I had handy to complain to him about something yeah, that was much. bugging me. Yep. And now, and now, and Ed can say it's much much better. Now you just you know every couple of weeks you kill some people and yeah. uh, works out. Yeah. Dump good some bodies idea. in the trunk of Tessmore, drive up to Algonquin Park, and that's uh, it's all good. That's what I spent yep. Friday doing. Run over. All right, some so homeless. one one interesting thing left to talk about. Uh, it came up before because I asked Ed if um, he had had a meeting of his much maligned um, Glossy, which was his greater Lafayette open source something. L- Lafayette is Louisiana. Lafayette is Indiana. Whatever. It's Lafayette. Um, <laughs> whatever. Whatever, bro. It's, we all know it's actually Pawnee, but they just rebranded. So There is a Pawnee Street. Uh, in in uh in West Lafayette, actually, there's a Pawnee Road. I think it is. I was I went to a party the other day on Pawnee Road. Gapasi, <laughs> the Greater <laughs> Pawnee Open Source. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of Glossy, it's Gapasi. Um, yeah. 
And so Ed uh, Ed said to me, on uh, like uh, you know, like the uh, the cool uh, CTO he is now said, no, mm-hmm. no, no, man, we mm-hmm. we pivoted, we pivoted, and we uh, and we we renamed it to um, to uh, Hack Hack Pony. And um, yeah, Hack Pony, yeah, Hack, mm-hmm. Hack Lafayette or Lafayette or whatever the fuck you want to call it. See, now I'm getting mad over shit that doesn't matter, Ed. It really doesn't matter. Yeah, that's uh, fine. So it, it brought up the idea of that, yeah, the importance of – I know this is a, people don't like hearing this word. The importance of marketing when building communities. Communities, they do not – despite what a lot of tech bros think, communities do not build themselves. You can't just show up no. um, and have shit work. So both Ed and I have been involved in organizing uh, communities – even different mm-hmm. ones. Some of them programming, some of them um, outside of programming. For example, like mm-hmm. of course I have the uh, True North PHP buy tickets now for the last one ever. You can actually watch me watch me break down emotionally in tears um, when <laughs> I have to give when I have to give the final talk um, on that on that day in November. And uh, and also you know I spent a lot of time uh, building up a community um, at the local gaming store that I go to where I play, uh, where I play Magic the Gathering, getting a bunch of people together so we could play, uh, play a specific format that we wanted to play legacy, play with the older cards, the more powerful stuff where we get to do crazy shit when we play. Uh, and that's been a very rewarding thing to see that thing get up and running and actually still fire off and do stuff. Um, when I happen to not be there instead of just where it used to be, if I didn't show up, nothing happened with the group of people. They're all just kind of indifferent to the whole thing. So I right. put a lot of effort into like getting people to, to come and show up and do stuff. And um, it was good. Uh, so, you know, with Ed, you've got, you've done, uh, clearly you've done the, the stuff in the greater Lafayette area. And um, I, see, now I don't even know what the fuck to call it now. Lafayette. 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 Fuck you, Ed. No, that makes sense. Fuck you, Ed. Lafayette. Okay, Lafayette. Take all the French out of it. Sure. Without the French, there's no fun. And uh, and the stuff with uh, open sourcing mental illness, where it's not really programming related. It's more about, like, resources and talking about your own experiences Mm -hmm. that aren't really related to programming. But I think Mm -hmm. Ed can agree, and we'll talk about this, that... Marketing is a big part of this. You have to work hard to organize these things and get the message out and figure out what is what is it what is what is the thing you want this group to do. And then that kind yeah. of guides all your. I know it's such a weaselly word to say all your. And I'm doing air quotes. Messaging, everything yeah. that you talk about related to that organization, got to be focused. Got to be on point. Yes. Got to always be having the same same message that you want to be repeating. It is. In fact, probably more so because there is not there is not necessarily usually with organizations like this, you have to explain to people why they want to support you or why they want to participate. And it's so it's a little less obvious. It's like we sell beer. Well, there's a built in then attraction. Right. You have a good or service that I am interested in, and therefore I would exchange uh, money representative of work effort uh, for your goods and services. Uh, You don't even have that like like that sort of inherent like potential attraction the uh, with with most of these things. Mostly it's kind of like, why would I do this? Um, Because it 
maybe he does something that so you, you have to appeal to people in some way maybe you appeal to them emotionally maybe you appeal to their you know that it benefits them one way or another maybe you appeal to them because it would be fun and maybe you know all sorts of things that you can you can do with that but i would say that marketing is is even more important um, just because you don't have that obvious like other attraction to it that I have a gooder service that people might be interested in. Um, I thought you said gooder service, and I realized yeah, you meant have, good. I remember I realized you meant good or service, but it sounded like you got a gooder service. I'm like, wow, Ed's regressing again. You gotta yeah, do that. You know why like mega churches are mega? Because Cause of, cause they know how to market to people and convince them to part with their money. And that is why for good or for bad, for rich or for poor, for better or worse. That is why they're so good at it. And that is why, for example, there's a, an organization town that is based around a, a big uh, Baptist church here. And they've built community centers and done a lot of community effort stuff because they have, and I think it's, I disagree with some, a lot of their ideology and some of their practices I find abhorrent, but I also think they've done some good in the community. Um, and they have enormously larger resources than say the city does to do a lot of that work. And that's kind of come up recently with them wanting to uh, that I've been more aware of because they want to build a community center next door to the uh, public charter school that my son attends and that I have uh, done a fair bit of volunteering at. And, uh, you know, some people are kind of concerned about it. I have I have my misgivings about that as well or my my concerns as well. But I generally think it's going to be a good thing. But the the, the fact is, is that there is no other organization that's going to be like, you know what? Uh, we're prepared to drop 15 million dollars into this project. The city does not have 15 million dollars to spend on this. And I hear people talking about like, well, you know, why can't they the city? Why can't they just spend the money on X or Y? And well, because. The city doesn't have that money. There's no way they can do that. So they're not going to be able to build a new building for, you know, any of the other community centers that they that the city does, you know. So you want that, you know, that's this organization wants to come in and do this. That's, you know, it's a different kind of deal. Again, for better or worse, richer or poor, that is why uh, that's that's how that happens. They're good at it because they're good at marketing to people. And, um, I, uh, you know, I, I, so what I think you kind of can come away from that is I want to do some good things. There are things you can do that will make it more appealing to people. Now, one of the things that we did with this is greater Lafayette open source symposium, which was made a cool acronym glossy, but an acronym that no one knows what the hell it is when you say it. We'd be like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. First off, if I say glossy, they'll be like, what the fuck are you talking about? You sound like an asshole. That doesn't mean anything. That is what they're thinking in their head. But they don't know what it should be. Gapasi. We've been over this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's their first question is that doesn't sound like there's a Pawnee in there. That's their first question. The second question is, what the fuck is that? Right. And so you've immediately hurt yourself if you have to say 
if the first reaction most people have is what the fuck is that? That is not that makes your marketing twice as hard. That makes just because you don't even call it marketing, call it some other thing. Explain to people what the hell it is. If you have to spend a bunch of time explaining what it is, not great because you've now wasted your time that you could be doing. You know, it it could have clicked faster for them and you could be doing other stuff, um, talking to them on another level. It's like you have to onboard them like in a complex way. The other thing is then the, the name that did explain it was super long greater lafayette open source symposium uh okay so the first thing is that there's a lot of people who maybe kind of know stuff about tech and are good like community people who are good at who might be helpful for facilitating stuff and it might be helpful in introducing you to people who can help facilitate stuff they're like you know in the community they might be like oh yeah i can help you you know these folks do this this space and you know really excited about tech and stuff like that and you say open source to them and they're gonna be like i don't know what the fuck that is they don't really know what it means and honestly if somebody does ask you what open source what it means i'm just you know saying this out loud to anybody there's a lot of ways you could go with that how are you going to explain it are you going to talk about the culture? Are you going to talk about licensing? Are you going to talk about, you know, source code? Well, what the fuck source code? Oh shit. Now I have to explain to you what source code is now. Oh, good God. Okay. So I've got a really long name that is a better explanation, but still kind of confusing to a lot of people, or I've got a short name that means nothing to anybody and is unrelated whatsoever. So both of those suck. Uh, so we changed it to hack Lafayette. Why hack Lafayette? Because uh, Joe Ferguson, who is one of the uh, now board members of uh, Open Source Mental Illness, and he lives down in Memphis and has organized a lot of tech groups down in Memphis and nonprofits down there. Uh, he has a thing, Hack Memphis. And I was like, that's a good name. Because when they said Hack Memphis, I knew exactly what it probably was. It probably had something to do with programming, coding, and learning from each other. And maybe they did hackathons or whatever. I don't care. That's fine. I, I, you at least had kind of an idea of what it probably is, that this is a thing for developers. And I've run into, I, in working at like the co-working studio that I am at and in interacting with, you know, um, chamber of commerce people and local politicians and local community leaders and people doing all sorts of different stuff. When they hear hack something like hack something or a hackathon, they at least have a vague notion of what it is. They at least have an idea that it's like, oh, that's like a tech thing where people get together and make stuff. They will at least understand that. Even though we don't do a bunch of hackathons, it is at least in the ballpark, right? You know, and even if it's like, well, actually, it's over in right field and you're talking about some of this in left field. At least it's in the goddamn field, right? If I tell them open source, I now have to have a five minute conversation with them about what the fuck that means and which they're still getting lost in instead of and, you know, then they're kind of like, I, I actually have real work to do that, you know, benefits me or other people. And so I'm going to leave now, you know, so it was just a bad name. And I mean, I'm the one who came up with the name. I think I actually I think of being Ben Cotton. I think Ben Cotton came up with the name. Um. But we were kicking around stuff and wanted to say open source about it. And that was a big thing. Now, you know what? I'm just like, no, it's just a bad name. And so I haven't changed anything about like the philosophy of it or that it's about open source culture and trying to 
practice open source cultural values in terms of collaborative learning and, 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 and sharing. Um, all of that stuff is exactly the same, but the name sucked. <laughs> so that was just like that. Just that is a thing that the name kind of sucked. And I, you know, I realized after a while it was like been doing this for three or four years now, it seems like, and probably still just getting the same numbers of people, five people showing up, pretty much the same people, you know, and I'm like, well, if I want to do more with this and we want to do more with this, it's got to be a little easier to do it. So at least, you know, it's going to click for people faster. And already, I think we're getting more signups like in our meetup group just because I changed the name. All I did was change the name. That was it. So, you know, it's it's not the case that if you build it, it just people just show up. So you have to think about this stuff like you might be really excited about, I don't know, Erlang. That doesn't mean that if you start an Erlang group, everyone else is going to realize how awesome Erlang is and they're going to start participating and you're going to be able to find space to do your thing. And you're going to people, you know, you're going to find sponsors and you're going to. It just doesn't work like that. (laughs) I mean, uh, sometimes it is. And and you know what, if I wanted to keep making it the same group of like six people that I happen to know who actually know what open source is and are interested in that stuff and care about things like licensing issues and the culture behind it and stuff like that. I could have just kept calling it that. And that's fine. If I wanted to do more stuff though, and potentially have more impact on the community, um, more positive impact on the community, that means doing some marketing. Um, like, More and more, probably we're going to call open sourcing mental illness, we'll call it OSMI or OSMI. We'll call it that OSMI Um, because that's shorter. And it's just, uh, and then people will ask, what's that? Mental health advocacy in tech or something like that. You know, some shit of that nature. Because it's the whole name is probably not that great and marketable, but that those initials are, you know, you could pull that off a little better and, you know, spending money on the branding and building stuff people want figuring out how to research stuff and pulling in people who actually know what the hell they're doing about stuff. You don't know the hell what you're doing about like, you know, me, there's lots of stuff. I don't definitely don't know what the hell I'm doing. And, and he can, they can help you through that. It's great. Joe Ferguson is the guy who's responsible for all of our, our work so far and doing, um, get trying to get nonprofit status because I didn't, I don't know any of that. What happened is he stepped me through it, like filling out the exact forms and everything on it because I didn't know how to do it. So I had to bring him in and I guarantee you, if we get 501 C three status, way more sponsorships and donations from, uh, organizations. Why? Because it's a tax write off for them. Yep, Individually, they can, they can yep. get a receipt and some proof yep. that you're not, they're yep. not just, throwing money into in somebody's pocket you know right which is important right and we still do okay but let's imagine we're like you know what we really want to do this where we like could pay enough money to maybe like pay a salary for me or for or like pay part-time work for somebody to work on this well you're talking about order an order of magnitude larger fundraising efforts you're talking about you know in the hundreds of thousands of dollars now you're out of like ten twenty thousand dollars um, I, I can't raise that amount of money 
just being a, hey, just give this person some cash. You just can't do that. And so you have to work at it and you have to figure out how do you engage people? How, you know, how do you market yourself? What's your website look like? What's your landing page look like? Where's the place that you people sign up for stuff? How easy do you make it? All that stuff matters. And all that stuff where, you know, you read those super douchey blogs that talk about how to build like effective things that get more conversions. That stuff applies just as much to nonprofits and and charity work as much or more so than it does uh, for profit work. It, it, it absolutely does. Community building is 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 really, really hard work. And like I said, it's probably harder because you don't have a, anything to give them in a lot of cases other than know that you're doing the right thing in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. You, you know, know what's th- like one of the things I talk, I think about is like, what's, what's the measurable upside for a company to give money to, um, like a meetup group? What's the measurable thing that you can do? That's a hard one. Because if you look at a lot of that stuff, it's like, yeah, if we give them this, we have to sell this much stuff to make up for that, to make it worth it. And boy, that's kind of a hard thing. I mean, sometimes that's really hard. And right now, I, you know, Chris, I don't know what it's been like for you. And I'm sorry I interrupted you and I want to hear what you had to say about it. I don't know what it's been like for you sponsorship wise, but I know a lot of places who are doing uh, a lot of folks who are who are organizing conferences and stuff have said that the, the market is it's because there's just less money in the market, less startup money. There's not the same amount of money to go around for marketing budgets to 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 sponsor things because you can't measure it. It's hard to measure that stuff. Right. There is not a direct like I invested this money in advertising and I got this many more conversions out of it. We had this many more signups because of that. That's something you can tie to it directly. It's really hard to tie like, hey, we put some money into this. So it's hard to justify. So you have to do even more work. To, to convince people to do that stuff. Now, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Okay, I'll answer your I'll answer the the second question first, and then go mm-hmm. back to the point I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of like sponsorship stuff for True North, mm-hmm. we really haven't started asking people yet. We still mm-hmm. got some time. It's, we're used to kind of a tight schedule. Right. We have a whole bunch of people that we want to talk to. Ask them if they're interested in sponsoring. Um, we still have some money left over from last year's um, conference, plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the um, sale of the um, the woolly mammoths, so mm, right. uh, you know we set aside a bunch of that money. To say we're going to use this to help towards uh, you know towards uh, put it towards the the conference. We know roughly how much money we need to pay for speaker travel, um, hotel, um, food for the you know stuff for the venue, um, which is why it was so important for us to really apply pressure to Microsoft to get them to agree um, to be a platinum level, our highest level sponsor in exchange for, um, you know, paying for the venue for us. Right. So, uh, you know, starting on Monday or starting tomorrow, I guess, cause it's Sunday today. Um, I'm going to start mailing the people that I know who have sponsored in the past right. and then start hitting people up on Twitter and saying, Hey, last time ever, if you'd like to give something back, uh, like you talk about, going to talk about justifying the money that you spent. Right. Uh, in terms of like sponsorships. So, I usually approach this when I've talked to potential sponsors, and I don't know what Pete does, 
uh, Pete Math, that's my partner in the, the conference for people that don't know, DevOps Math on, on Twitter. And he was Mr. P Meth before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny that his last name is Meth. I'm like, you have the best name, <laughs> last name for a programmer. DevOps Meth. That sounds like a great book or organization. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we usually tell people like reasons to sponsor are you get to get your brand in front of uh, a small but passionate group of people because our conference is usually about 130 people, right. including the including the speakers, right? So it's usually about 20 speakers and then 110 um, guests, I guess is the best way, attendees to call them. Yeah. So it's a small, but they all want to be there. Um, they're all they're covering a very ge- a very small geographic area, the Greater Toronto area, plus um, some points to the west of Toronto. Mm-hmm. So it's like a good chance that if you're a company that's in that region. Get your name in front. You get an opportunity to talk to people when you're there. But I've also said, hey, you know, if you use PHP and you use open source stuff and not that you're feeling guilty, but you kind of want to find a way, how can I kind of, I can't give back by opening, by open sourcing stuff, but I still would like to kind of give things back and say thank you to the community and also at the same time help to build the programming community because the more, the stronger a development community the easier it is to hire people when it's all really disjointed. There's mm-hmm. no, it's, it's very hard to like work networks to find people, find out what sort of people are out there, who's available, even though there are some biases when you use other people's networks and you end up like recommending people like yourself and, and all that kind of weird bias stuff that goes on. Right. But I just say, look, it's a chance to get your name, company name in front of people. We give all the sponsors an opportunity to talk to uh, the higher end sponsors. They get speaking slots so they can, Give talks. We say don't do an infomercial as your talk because I've been to enough conferences where where sponsors gave talks that were basically infomercials for what they right. were working on. Um, but you know, I mean, that's that's how I kind of look at it. I, I look at this a worthy event. It's like, look, man, we're doing this one last time. This is the last time I will ever ask you to sponsor this event. If you want to give us a couple hundred bucks, five hundred bucks, thousand dollars, three thousand to be a uh, to be like a platinum sponsor, great. That way, you know, Pete and I don't have to fork out any money out of our own pocket because that for right. us has always been the overriding thing for the event. We don't want to spend any of our own money because we have spent enough of our goddamn time on this thing. Yeah, right. Sick so, of this. Well, I'm not that sick of it. It's oh, just like I've done everything I wanted to do. It's time to go do some other things with my time yeah, in sure. November. I'd like to get my Novembers back. Um, yep. But to get like the other to thing, get talk communities, November's to get my to talk about the building communities, the the interesting thing that I have noticed, mm-hmm. there are some communities that you can get them up and running, Word. and then they're able to kind of run themselves even in your own absence. Right. The the magic legacy group is kind of like that. It keeps going when I'm not around, but some other groups that I've put together. When you take your foot off the pedal, it all goes to shit. It all falls apart. So I don't know if you've had experience with that sort of idea where you get a group of people together doing something. And as long as you're involved and you're helping to set the times and the agenda, Mm -hmm. things go great. But if you can't make it for whatever reason, life interferes or in my case with some of these things, work interferes where I have to go away. I'm not available uh, on a a weekend to do something. It all falls to shit and nothing happens. That's exactly what happened with Spaz. Um, so you get what I'm saying, right? It's like, there's, there are some organizations just to get them to function. Mm -hmm. It's foot to the floor and you're going all out and that you have to pour so much effort into them. Um, Uh, yeah, I I mean, it, it definitely is. And it varies a lot based on like who's involved and all that stuff. But just in general, 
groups tend to be driven by people who are comfortable in sort of a leadership role, right? And so if it's kind of like if the leader steps away, the person who kind of coordinates everything and makes sure things are going and what direction it's going and stuff like that, um, oftentimes everybody stops doing anything, right? <laughs> and that is um, that is something that, that just happens in organizations. And uh, I think that in, in all of the community work or other kind of organizational stuff that I've done, that is just a hundred percent the case. And you find some people who are better at it than others who are better at sort of taking ownership of their, their sort of area and, and being self-motivated and there's folks who aren't, and it's just different, different people who are good or bad at different things. And, but it's, you know, the one thing is definitely the case is that folks kind of get used to, this is how the way things work. This person takes ownership of this and they kind of lead the way and stuff like that. And then when that person is not pushing, um, for one reason or another, uh, it could be, there's, there's going to be some time where either somebody else says after a minute, Hey, you know what? I, somebody's got to step up and, and keep this going or it'll just kind of fall apart <laughs> and just nothing happens. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. And, uh, and, and so that's pretty typical. You just have to find the right people, uh, to do that. That's what, so, um, any kind of transition leadership transition is always really hard. Um, and, uh, or, or just leadership stepping down. And I, I mean, I said it kind of off the cuff, but, and that's, this is nothing against any of the people who, who worked and helped me on, on the SPAS project, uh, or anything like that. But, I turned it over and it just didn't really do anything, you know? And it was just cause I, I, I suspect, uh, I would ask, it's just, they had sort of other things they were interested in and they didn't have the same, you know, it, was, it wasn't a priority like it was for me and for them. And so nothing really happened. And that was just, that's just, it was a bummer, but it was, that was something I learned. Uh, that was just a thing that I learned about it. So, uh, so yeah, that sucked, but that was it. And I had to step away and do other stuff. And that was, that was just what it is. Yeah. Just sometimes these things that organize activities and stuff, I'm like, sometimes I'm like, like I'm like, okay, we're going to meet at this time. We're going to do this thing. And then like, I can't be there for whatever reason at the normal time. Cause you know, I like to try to do the repetitive events, the, like we're trying to do with this podcast, always the second and fourth Sunday of a month we're going to record unless we have like a schedule conflict and then things like, you know, on the second Saturday of every month, I'll get my friends together to play board games. But sometimes it's like, man, you know, it would be nice if I can't be there that you fucking knuckleheads could actually do something that you could like run one of these events without me being there. Yeah, right. You know, it's like I remember when I was in college, the group of people who uh, who ended up graduating with. There was a whole bunch of us and eventually it all whittled down and there was a pretty good group. We all hung out together in college yep. and we used to get together once a year and have dinner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it used to be like the only, sometimes the only time these dinners would happen would be literally because I'm, I would be like, all right, where are we having dinner? 
and then this yep. person would offer and then you know I I hosted the dinner like three or four times and some people never hosted it at their place and after a while I was like god damn it you people like does it always have to be me doing this and sometimes I and then it gets into like you start looking at your personality and stuff like why do I find myself attracted to like shit bags who can't get their act together why does this keep happening why does it always have to be me organizing <laughs> these things like god damn it people I've had those feelings sometimes, um, but it's, it's, some people are good at some things and some people are uh, good at other things. <laughs> and uh, and that's just the way it is, you know. And like so, I never thought of myself as being like someone that was good at organizing groups of people to do shit because I never really did that until I was like literally done going to school. Right. Just trying to get people mm-hmm. together. Like when I was in high school, I was not the one organizing group outings. When I was in college, I was not the one organizing all that stuff. It just somehow it became me saying, hey, man, I want to do this thing. Let's do it this place, this time, who's in. And then if I didn't organize it, like shit literally never happened. And after I was like, all right, that's it. You people are flakes. I'm not, I just can't bring myself to all – I was like, I don't want to – Always be the one organizing this thing. Can someone else please do it for once without me having to also ask and say, hey, guys, when are we doing this thing? It's like, no, how about somebody else sends the fucking email out that says, hey, we're doing blah, 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 like regular and have someone else figure it all out. It's like, oh, damn it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, that. I guess this is why I, I guess this is why I got so like wound up about time management and tracking all my stuff, so I could continue to do the things that I wanted to do and try to come up with a system that kept these things rolling forward without me having to do uh, do a lot of thought on keeping it going. Because you're right, there's a lot of activities I do. If I let off the pedal, they just they just go to shit and nothing no. happens. Yeah, you know? um, and a lot of times it it just means that. You know, you have to talk to people and be like, okay, I'm going to step down. And you have to have a one-on-one conversation. It's like, okay, if this is going to keep going, I need you to do the X, Y, and Z, right? And let's let's work on this and take time to transition. And then, and yeah, it, it is that way. But you know how you always have, like in relationships, you have, like, always seems like, one person is always the one who asks the other person if they want to do something. (laughs) And then you get used to it. And that's just what you're like, Oh, well they'll let me know if they want to do something. Or usually for me, I'm on the other side and I'm like, why do I always have to ask people to do stuff with me? Why am I always doing that? Why don't they ask me? And that's not true. It it does go vice versa, but you you start thinking like, do people not like me? What's the problem? (laughs) Um, Yes, I know. I've had lots of these conversations with my wife. Yep. The same sort of thing on both sides where sometimes it's me saying, well, why don't you do it for once? And then the same thing, <laughs> yep. she'd be like, she'd be like, you never do this. Why don't yes. you go and do it this time? Yes. So. And uh, yeah. So marriages are a great example of that where you get into every, this person does this, this person does this, and then you just expect it to happen magically. You know, well, of course they're going to take care of that. One of the ones this weekend I've said to my wife, you know, we've been together 18 years and you only get 25 years for killing somebody. Why are you so mean? And I'm like, I'm not being mean. Shut the hell up. So it's just marital bliss um, as always. Oh, yes. Wonderful. There's a reason I call her the long-suffering wife. So. Uh, yes. You've met her. She's a saint. Yes. Uh, yeah. For marrying you. Absolutely. That's a, <laughs> there's some charity work right there. Hey, man. She uh, she's, she uh, she uh, jumped onto the right boxcar. Yeah, right. That's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. She she got her uh, hobo uh, stick and right. jumped on the right box. 
I was that box car that came along at the right time and she jumped on and it's, yep. it's been all the stories I could tell you had about some stuff. But anyway, those are definitely not for yeah, the podcast. Probably, probably chill on that. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're going to chill on that one. We can do the after show. Uh, yeah. About an interesting thing that happened recently. All right. Uh, so, yeah. So, I think, I don't know. I, I think we've gotten to yeah. everything that I wanted to talk about today. And we're at almost 90 minutes of, oh, yeah. of recording. So, we're good, man. Yeah, I think, I think we're in good shape. Uh, talk a little bit about our fabulous sponsors oh i guess maybe we'll save the okay. our thoughts about the patreon for another time maybe yeah we'll do that maybe hash that out a little bit or run because we got lots of time it's not like there's some big rush i have i have everything set up i literally just have to fill things out and set up rewards and all that stuff and i still don't know what it is i want to do we again there's this idea of we talked about what are you going to get for your money so i'm still thinking very very hard about like what do i what do i think is appropriate um you know, give us a dollar five dollars ten dollars one time maybe like you throw a thousand bucks at us ed and i will come down and do a live version of the show yeah we could i think we could choice we could do something like that but uh we'll think of a few things yeah so ed why don't you uh, thank our our two wonderful sponsors and we can uh, get this thing done yes sir yes yes please uh we got your wonder network who provided the bandwidth for maybe somebody to listen to our podcast today um they are a global networking solution provider with services like Wonder Proxy, where you can look at your website from all over the place, like it's like seven, no, six locations in India, one in Bangladesh, one in Pakistan. Uh, we got a few in different African, one in Egypt, in Saudi Arabia, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, all sorts of places, all the good places that you want to go. Uh, wears it up. Got a service that uh, tells you where your site is up. Check your status, stuff like that. They got some API for it or something like that. I don't know. I just work here, man. Uh, you got your shot Sherpa. Take screenshots for you from around the world. Pretty cool. Um, that's a thing, I guess. Got your Wonder VPN. That is a pr- uh, personal VPN service. Um, which is pretty neat. Global ping statistics show like what ping times are from all over the world because obviously they got like 150 servers or something like that. And also, where is it fast to measure uh, those kinds of things for everybody? Well, you know what what speeds are in different locations. So that's a uh, cool stuff for people, right? And uh, yeah, all sorts of cool stuff like that. So they have all sorts of services like that. Some of them, these are free. A lot of them at least give you some idea uh, or have free free offerings for it. So they're pretty awesome people. And we really love those guys and girls and uh, other uh, gender identifiers. Whatever you want to use is totally cool. We're good. And then the other one is Grumpy Learning, grumpy-learning.com. You buy a book, uh, maybe you write a test and uh, Chris doesn't uh, step on your toes or uh, maybe break your fingers. That'd be a shame. You uh, got no fingers to work. That's a nice application you got there. It'd be a shame if there were any bugs. Yeah, that'd be a real real shame there, wouldn't it, friend? So, yeah, you go there, you learn about uh, PHP testing uh, techniques, that kind of thing. So maybe your, your applications suck a little less ass. Grumpy learning. That's where you get your learning on to suck less ass. 
Man, this marketing stuff just writes it just flows out of your lips like wine. Man, I'm good at this. I'm a pro. I'm freaking. I can't. Pro. I can't wait till we get to read other people's copy. It's gonna oh be. Oh my awesome. god, they're gonna be so mad and demand their money back. So yes, thank you, uh, Paul Reinheimer, uh, Will Roberts, and the lovely Gemma Ansible uh, for keeping Wonder Network up and going and allowing uh, Paul to uh, not always have his shit drag his company down uh, into the flames and end up on fuckedcompany.com. I used to love it. Did you ever go to that site, yeah, Fucked Company? Yeah, that was, that was the best, watching it. And this was for people that don't know who are too young or don't know about this at all. Yep. Back during the first tech bubble, um, there was a guy who called himself Pud, who created this website called fuckedcompany.com, where he would catalog the spectacular ways in which various startups would completely flame out. And it was one of the best places to go when you wanted a little bit of schadenfreude about the tech industry. Just the ridiculous business models. In many ways, it was the precursor to, uh, what's that website? Our Wonderful Journey, where the companies, when they get bought or shut down, oh, yeah. the, the bullshit messages they put up. So right. somebody's doing yep. that uh uh, collecting all that stuff, all the messages. Thank you for joining us on our wonderful journey. When they get bought and they become dollinaires for all their um, for all their efforts. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we we know that those people are helping Paul keep that business on the straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least while he keeps working for Stripe. At least Wonder Network doesn't. Uh, actually, I don't know. I think I, I can only assume he's still working for Stripe. I haven't heard otherwise. But Paul doesn't tweet too much, so who knows? Hopefully, hopefully I haven't said something that wasn't true. Sorry, Paul. Um, I hope he's still working at Stripe. But uh, this yeah, has been sure episode. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Episode. This has been episode number zwei und achtzig of the Development Hell podcast. As always, you can find every single episode we've ever done, along with a snappy graphic. And uh, I'm getting better at writing the titles for the episodes. I put together the show notes. Um, they're on the website, devhell.info, every single episode. Also, please visit our sponsor page. If you're thinking about sponsoring the podcast, pretty soon there'll be a lot more options, ways for you to sponsor the podcast. If you listen to us on iTunes, please, please, please rate the podcast. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Um, we're always also open to suggestions via Twitter on our Twitter account, at dev underscore hell. Suggestions on guests we should talk to, topics you'd love to hear us cover. Because after 82 episodes, uh, you know, again, like I was talking about, it would be nice if someone else could fucking come up with some ideas for us to talk about instead of me and Ed always having to figure this out on ourselves. We, have, like, we yeah. are a comedy podcast about tech, and sometimes we need outside writers to help us yeah it's like an improv group throw out a word that'll be and we'll riff right. off of it that's right we'll be like whose line is it anyways where someone will combine three things and we'll do a whole podcast mm-hmm. based on that um mm-hmm. so yes you can find us on twitter as dev underscore hell you can find me on twitter i'm grumpy programmer without a u you can find ed as funkatron with the u thanks so much for joining us and we'll talk to you soon good night internet.